0: Welcome to the Make Disciples Podcast, a short weekly podcast where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as a disciple. Welcome back to this episode of the Make Disciples Podcast. I am joined again in the recording studio with uh, Mike Shockey. Thanks for being here, Mike. Hola, senor. Glad to have you here with us. We're continuing our series on Theology, saying that theology is important to develop in our lives. Good theology matters in the life of a Christian. We want to understand what is right and wrong, and we understand that good theology helps us worship God better and also understand how we should live our own lives. So we're in a a sub-series in the middle of our broader series, and we're getting into some divergent theologies. We want to understand theologies that are out there. Now, certainly, there are theologies that we may not agree with as conservative Presbyterians, but we still get along with people. But there's other theologies that we find to be problematic. And today we want to talk about one of those. We're going to talk about prosperity theology. It's a topic that maybe you've heard about before. Maybe you've heard people talk about it before, and it's relatively popular here in the United States. And so, Mike, let's get into this. When we say prosperity theology, what are we talking about? What is that?
1: I think in a nutshell, prosperity theology, I think if we qualify it, uh, first of all, saying that prosperity theologians would never qualify it this way. Uh, so we're qualifying this, we're defining this from a position that sees the immense negative side uh, or sides of prosperity theology. And before we go any further with that, I would say that there are some certainly some good sides to Understanding what prosperity in the kingdom of God means. We wouldn't want to say there's good things about prosperity theology because now back to the definition. Prosperity theology is a literal entire body of theology that everything else flows from in terms of how we think about God, what attributes we uh, attribute to Him. As an example, God has saved you in order to give you nothing but good, positive things. Hmm. When you're in the kingdom of God through your faith in Jesus, you only receive good things. And if you receive bad things, then that means that you don't have enough faith. If you receive good things, then you have somehow mustered enough faith in order to receive those good things. It is God does not want to harm you. The Jeremiah 29 uh, prophecy Where God doesn't want to harm you. I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good, not to harm you, those kinds of things. And then John 10 10, which is used so very frequently, that Jesus says, and it's interesting to me, by the way, that we rarely, you know, in the prosperity theology camp, we rarely put this into context. We just simply quote John 10 10 B, so only half the, the full verse, which is Jesus saying that I came that they, you, me, those who have faith in him, may have life and have it what, Dan? Abundantly. Abundantly. And so, you know, what does the abundant life look like? So at the end of the day, prosperity theology is a a full work, a full body of theology that says everything else that we believe about heaven, hell, sin, punishment, the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice, everyday living and life and our positive and negative thoughts and all these kinds of things, what our bank accounts look like. Uh, you know, what our lives look like, those kinds of things. Everything is developed around the fact that God in Christ uh, is going to bless you this side of heaven in every amazing way possible. Now, the last thing I would say about that is just that when we do that, we strip the gospel idea that we have been called to come and die. We've been stripped then of the idea that giving our lives is our greatest gain because in giving our lives, we have the giver of the gift and not just the gift, right? So prosperity theology tends to focus more on the gift and the gifts than it does on the giver, though it itself would never say that that's the, the truth. Absolutely.
0: And getting into that and our next question, what is wrong with prosperity theology? We can talk about how contextually there are issues with how they're using these verses. I mean, I'll give the first one. You mentioned Jeremiah 29, 11, and I'm reading through Jeremiah right now in my own Bible study, in my own uh, devotional time. And if you only take Jeremiah 29, 11, you're going to be pretty happy. But the moment you start moving outside of that, you're going to be a little more disturbed, right? Because this is a time period where we're actually watching Israel being carried into exile by the Babylonians. And this is not a hope in the future just yet. This is absolutely terrible. And so we need to understand the broader context. Is that true with John as well?
1: It's very true with John. Um, at the very least, without opening all of those verses up before and after, um, which by the way, Dan, I, I think anybody who is working on the development of their theology or the development of how they understand the Bible or the gospel or what God is saying in his word here needs to know that if you see a passage and you really love it or you really hate it or you don't understand it or whatever the case may be, you need to see what's before it and what's after it, right? So that you see how it fits in a broader context. And so John 10, 10 actually begins much before that, but let's just go to Jesus saying, after speaking of the fact that there are some in the kingdom who are invited into the kingdom and who actually come into the kingdom of God the right way, uh, that is through Jesus himself. There are others who do not, and that's to speak of people who appear to be in the kingdom, kind of the difference between the visible church and the actual church, for instance, All mm. right, And point being, they eventually are cast out. They're eventually shown to be who they are. And so we have a real eternal damnation kind of thing as the backdrop for the blessed relief of Jesus saying in John 10 9, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Well, first of all, saved from what? He will be saved from the things that I was just talking about, about not being a real Christian, being cast out. You will actually be saved and you will go in and out and find pasture. That is, you're free to come and go in my kingdom. You are free to to be who you are. You will have rest. You'll have peace. And then we see the contrast laid yet again on this famous verse, which everybody says, hey, Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Yes. Can I hear an amen? You'd have it abundantly. And that's great. I think I've preached that verse myself a time or two, but it has to be qualified by the idea that verse 10 starts out with a new contrast to verse nine that says, the thief comes, all right, as opposed to those who will enter by me and be the, the actual church to be the actual saved, right, and find peace and find joy and find rest. The thief himself, the devil, as it were, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So, mm. so there's the devil um, giving you an opinion of God that's not true, an idea of God, an attribute of God that doesn't exist, right? Uh, that you can get into heaven by your good work that you can get into heaven by some other means than only Christ himself right and then it says in contrast to 1010a 10, 1010b 10, says i came jesus says in order to give you life that you might have life abundantly what is that that first of all is a repeat of sorts of what we just said in verse 9 it's a repeat it's reassuring that I'm saying to you, let me say it again. Whereas the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, let me repeat to you again in more emphatic phrasing what I just said in verse 9 that if you enter by me, I am the door, I'm the only one. If you enter by me, you're going to be saved. You're going to come in, you're going to find pasture, you're going to find rest and peace. And now let me tell you, you are going to find that in me. You're going to have life, you're going to have it eternally, you're going to have it abundantly. And then we go to verse 11 and I'll close this section with this. It when we look at at context and you have the prosperity gospel folks saying, see, Jesus says himself, I came that you guys might have life. If you trust in me, you'll have life and you'll have it abundantly. You'll have all you want if you pray right, if you read your Bible enough, if you come to church enough, if you give to the church enough. You give a 100, you know, Jesus is going to match it tenfold, you know, this this hundredfold ministry kind of idea and You know, just all this stuff swirling around the idea of you give yours, you'll get yours, right? Well, actually, if Jesus in elsewhere in the gospel says in multiple times, alludes to and then says specifically that the student is never greater than the teacher, right? Him being the teacher and the rest of us being the disciples or the students. Then when he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, he's just said he's going to give us life and give it to us abundantly. Mm -hmm. I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd does what, Dan? He lays down his life for the sheep. Mm. So right away, what we would say is a fundamental foundational problem with prosperity theology is that if all you did, like you said with Jeremiah 29, if all you did was look at, I came, Jesus saying, I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Great. But if you look at the fact that he's talking first before verse 10 about eternal life, And the difference between that and eternal life, somewhere you don't want to be. (laughs) And then you go to verse 11, where he says, let me tell you how that eternal life is secured. And let me tell you what abundance looks like. what, What I mean by abundance. What I mean by abundance is you're going to have everything in Christ, in God, in me. And it happens because I lay my life down for you. Can we then turn that on its head, so to speak, and say, well, Jesus died and and shed his blood for me so that I could have the best cars, the most money, um, so that when I give ten dollars, I get a hundred back, so that I just get blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. I would just quote Romans eight twenty six that He is not working all good things for those who love Him. No, eight twenty eight. There you he's go. not. Yeah, He's not only working all good things for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. He's working all things, meaning good and bad, death of the martyrs, persecutions, sufferings worldwide, more people killed in the name of Christianity in the 20th century than all the previous centuries combined, those kinds of things. You go out, you give your life. If you want to be first, you got to be last kind of idea. does not fit well with prosperity theology.
0: Yeah. What I like about all that you just said is that you're giving a great example of how poor theology can be overcome by careful scripture reading. If we're actually paying attention to the whole of scripture, we can get there. We're running out of time, but we want to talk about one very quick uh, topic. Not only do we want to talk about these as deviant theologies, but recognize that they have a habit of seeping into our own theology. We'll give a simple example here. For prosperity theology, we can talk all about how it's problematic. And so we may not go to a church with someone like Creflo Dollar or Joel Osteen or those kind of things. But we can also have this mentality of saying that if things are going well for me financially, that means that somehow I'm seen as good in the eyes of God. And that may be true, but it's not exclusive to that. It's not to say that if things are going poorly for you financially, or that you're being persecuted in some way, that this is God frowning upon you. We don't want to have, it, it almost sounds a bit like this Hindu notion of karma, right? If good things are happening to you it's because you did something good, if bad things happen to you or did something bad. No, we want to stay away from that and say, no, as Christians, we have the ultimate joy of heaven and we have uh, the blessings of justification in this world. But the fact is there's going to be both joys and sorrows even still in this world. Is that a fair way to put it,
1: Mike? I think that's a great way to put it, as a matter of fact. Um, When we get down to it, Dan, I think the main thing is, I asked a fellow yesterday a simple question, and I think we all need to ask ourselves this question. What is the most important thing to us when we think about what has happened to us in our Christian lives? The thing that's happened where we have been saved from eternal damnation is the most important thing on an everyday basis that we are happy or is the most important thing that God is glorified? Hmm. At the end of the day, if you can say my sin is that I want to be happy more than God is glorified. If you can confess that, then you're great. It doesn't mean it's okay to want to be happy more than God is glorified. It just means that you are self-aware because the Holy Spirit has made you aware of that, right? You Hmm. couldn't be aware of that on your own. And if you're aware of that, you're at a great starting place where you can say, Now, what does it mean to begin to live my life more in the parts of the areas of my life that I need to glorify God more than just trying to be happy? If you only say, I'm more concerned about being happy because I think that's what God wants for me, you're back into prosperity theology. You're not glorifying God as fully as you ought. And there's a real danger there that you're going to find yourself trapped one day because you will be disappointed in God. When you're put to the test yeah yeah
0: well a lot of uh great resources out there if you want to learn about uh the prosperity gospel uh more into it there's one that i'm more of a historian coming at this but it's called blessed a history of the american prosperity gospel it's certainly an academic source but it's a useful way to understand where this came from and why it's become so popular here in the united states as we try to develop our own theologies and uh, recognize when deviant theologies like these may seep in. So thanks Mike again for joining us for this season of the Make Disciples podcast. Great to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Blessings.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Make Disciples podcast. We would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. This podcast can be found in Apple podcasts and on Spotify. My thanks to Catherine Eckhart, the producer of this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Wildwood Church in Tallahassee, Florida.